Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's uh, the final pregame podcast here of 2020 when it comes to the regular season. We'll see what happens beyond this Saturday in Beaver Stadium, but we've got a game on the schedule here in mid-December. Not used to seeing action here in, in State College this time of a year, but we'll take what we can get this year, and it's Michigan State and Penn State, a familiar matchup, seven consecutive seasons that these East Division teams have faced off against each other, 35 matchups over the course of this series history, Michigan State holding a one-win advantage. Um, It's been a contentious matchup. Last year was uh, a pretty ugly situation for the Spartans with their former head coach and Mark D'Antonio, who was there for a long time. But they've got a new coach on board. We're going to learn a lot more about that situation, what this Spartans team is about in 2020, from Stephen Brooks of our 24-7 Sports Michigan State site a little bit later. But we will keep the focus, Sean, here on Penn State to begin the show. Touch on a little bit of recruiting later, some senior day stuff. We also have our predictions coming up, but sticking with the 2020 theme here in Happy Valley, things have changed at the last second, essentially, for Penn State. This is no longer a 3.30 kickoff on ESPN. It is now a noon kickoff on ABC, and unfortunately, no longer allowed in the stadium are parents. Uh, I was going to say fans, but really fans have not been allowed in the stadium throughout the parent portion of the fan base because of these new Pennsylvania restrictions announced on Thursday. Not going to be able to be there for senior day. It's it's the latest blow to the psyche of this team, potentially. We'll see how they bounce back from that. Unfortunate news and, and just a senior day, as we'll discuss later, that feels far from any kind of senior day you could have envisioned. You got to feel for the kids. You got to feel for the parents. I mean, it's just a. I mean, it, we've been. Cl- I mean, we've been close with a lot of these parents since they were recruits, and it's just to, to miss your son's last uh, home game, your, your potentially last college game. Uh, that sucks, man. I mean, I I, I really feel for those uh, those folks and. And the players too. I mean, you that that's something you look forward to for a long time because not everybody makes it to their senior year. Not everybody makes it to senior day. And part of that is you know walking out with with your parents, getting the the flowers, senior coach, and all that kind of stuff. Now you got to turn it around and shut it off. I mean, that that is the other thing about senior day. So maybe you come in more focused, but at the same time, that's a sentimental moment that you look forward to your entire life as a football player. And then you look back on it. You know, the the guys that have gone through it look back on it very fondly. And that that just that sucks, man. And the other strange thing is here, we don't know if this is their last game in Beaver Stadium, right? Uh, we're, we're still not sure where these games are going to be. There, there has been reports surfacing and James Franklin essentially confirming this Wednesday night after practice uh, that the locations are going to be on campus sites. Now, when we heard about this back in September, it was the neutral game plan uh, for this week nine stuff, the, the cross division matchups. Uh, we don't know where the game's going to be. It may be on the road. Franklin suggested that what he understood was the East teams would be home because next year the teams on the East side of the division have the on-balance road schedule. They'll be on the road five times over the course of their conference slate. 
and home for four of those games. So he says, if, if you send East teams to the West this week, then that's two consecutive years where the East is traveling more than the West. And let's face it, no one wants to be the traveling team this time around on short notice, considering circumstances. Um, so that's all still hanging up in the air. And, and again, we could see these guys back in, in Beaver Stadium. But here's the deal, Sean. This team's looking to close out the regular season as we know it on a three-game win streak. And we'll see what happens after that. But we're only 14 days removed from, from quite frankly, 0-8 being a very realistic fear here on campus. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that fear is in the back, you know, in, in the past because uh, it's a long, you know, I, I granted wins over Michigan and Rutgers aren't going to move the needle in the, in the grand scheme of things, but just it feels a little bit better right now. And I think everybody can feel feel better about themselves when, when you're winning at least something. So 0-8, not an option anymore is a great thing. You were, We were joking before we went on the air about how the mailbag questions have kind of uh, been in waves this year. Um, a lot of uh, firing talk, a lot of angry talk, then some nice talk, and then eventually got back to the negativity because they are on the internet. Um, but that's... Uh, just uh, a chance to end three and five, potentially, you know, get a get a good matchup next week if those things still happen, and just go into the off season, go into the uh, recruiting season on a high note is just basically all you can ask for, especially after that that awful start. It's not hard to pick up just on body language and, and just you know, cues, verbal cues during these conversations the last couple of weeks, whether it's post game or over the course of these game weeks with with coaches, with players. It's it's different than it was when, when the team is in that 0-5 quagmire or, or winless across the board coming out of a strange preseason experience. That glaze is kind of removed from from the eyes of these guys, and you, and you get a little bit more perspective. I feel like there's more transparency involved, and this week in particular, we'll get to a conversation we had with defensive coordinator Brent Pry. It's the first time we've had him for a media session since September, so a lot has changed, much like last week getting offensive coordinator Kirk Shiraka. Uh, thought it was just about as candid of a conversation we've had in a, in a, uh, in a widespread media session, uh, not a one-on-one conversation or anything like that or anything off the record. Everything was out there um, and and very candid. And uh, We'll get to some of those details soon. But Franklin this week, uh, we, we mentioned it Tuesday in the press conference. We spent a lot of time discussing his trepidation over, over postseason play on the previous episode this week. But on Wednesday, he spent the last five or six minutes of that media dialogue with us after practice basically kind of yearning to get back to what he has done in the past as a leader and and really expressing some things that I hadn't necessarily thought of how uh, you know a senior or a junior or whoever has been on campus for a while they can lean on some of the experiences they've had on campus they can lean on that foundation of knowing what a whiteout looks like in Beaver Stadium and knowing what a game day atmosphere looks like and seeing their families before the games and after the games and and all that stuff is kind of part of, of the fabric of their Penn State experience he was really lamenting the fact that you know these 27 newcomers that they brought into the roster and that's a huge percentage of your roster this year this is the Penn State that they know a camp on lockdown, major social restrictions, not going over to Franklin's house for dinner, all these stipulating circumstances that that have extended from the process. Um, it, it was just it was a, a different, another different side of Franklin. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like that what we saw before, kind of a broken side of Franklin earlier in the season, talking about his family. This was more of like all of us, like wanting to scream and shout a little bit and say, when the heck can we get back to normal? Because we're all trying to get there. Um, and this was a leader who kind of, you know, threw that all. I would suggest checking it out, Sean. I think uh, you've covered Franklin all seven years, had a lot of conversations with the guy. 
Haven't really seen anything personally for me in the four years I've covered this team like we saw during those last five, six minutes of his Wednesday evening uh, press Q&A, and that's up on the site right now. It was just, it was pretty captivating, and I think a lot of people said, that is the James Franklin that fans want to lead the Penn State program. That's the heart and soul guy, the passion guy. You can see he can go sell the program on the recruiting trail to the donors, all that different stuff. That was on display. It was it was funny because I was talking to Nate Bauer, who actually asked the question. He's like, I just wanted to know about like Malik Mega and how he's doing this year, like as a <laughs> yeah. as a player. And then Franklin opens up into that, and and that's what you get with Franklin. And you know, these it, just leaning on the personal relationships is something that he's been big at. And w- when you can't have that, when he can't have really many aspects of his entire life, having those personal relationships, family, recruiting, all that kind of stuff. It it, it takes its toll. Uh, still not, I, I don't think, a complete excuse uh, for how they've, they've handled this season. Uh, handle is probably the wrong word because they've handled many aspects of it very well. It's just the, the play on the field. Um, but it it's really just you get a glimpse of, of what's actually going on and what's, what's actually happening. And then you parlay that into what Brent Pry had to say on Thursday, and he was very refreshing, very upfront. It's, it's interesting since you complained about not having the coordinators uh, available a couple of weeks ago. We've gotten Kirk Shiraka, we've gotten Brent Pry, we've gotten good stuff from James Franklin, so thank you for opening the, that door, Tyler. Um, but it's uh, it, it's been really sort of, I think you could see it winding down. You could sort of hear the ticking clock in the background. Um, they know that, that this thing is over, and, and we saw this week Boston College doesn't want to play a bowl game because of every Everything that you know they've had to go through this year, and I think we're going to see a lot of programs go in that direction, kind of the opposite of LSU's self-imposed ban. But that's that's another story. Um, but it, it's sort of that thing where everybody outside of those six or seven teams still in the hunt for a playoff are just kind of trying to push this thing across the finish line. I think you see that from from Penn State's coaches. I think that light at the end of the tunnel serves as motivation right now, and I think there's the also the light at the end of the tunnel isn't just like stepping back and, and going away from campus and going away from all these protocols and going home, spending some quality time away from all this. It, it is the able the ability to push that reset button and say, okay, what can we accomplish in 2021? Not sure if there will be a full spring uh, spring practice schedule. We have no idea on that. But at least you can start to wrap your head around a full year. And at least now, unlike entering 2020, you can come up with a plan. You can come up with a plan for, look, if, if things stay the same or only get a little bit better, then how are we going to put together the best formula that avoids the, the pitfalls that hit this program this fall and, and maybe sets up for, for better success through through the virtual preparation, through what you're going to be able to accomplish in person. Of course, you're going to you're going to hope for the best, though. You're going to hope that a vaccination comes through. You'll get a chance to really get back on the field and, and sink your teeth into things the way you would. But at least you can have a plan. I think that's part of the the uh, the optimism that we see growing. Of course, the optimism helps uh, is helped by two consecutive victories over Rutgers, over Michigan. Those were on the road, though, Sean and Beaver Stadium, a site of a lot of great moments. Uh, but this year's been pretty much a house of horrors for Penn State. Uh, got bl- the doors blown off against Maryland. The Iowa game, a, a, a solid early start, and that snowballed really fast into, into a really rough rough uh, outing. And Ohio State just never was in jeopardy uh, playing in Beaver Stadium. I know that that two and six sounds bad enough, but zero oh and four at Beaver Stadium that that might sound worse, especially because it's been the complete opposite of where it's been the last couple of years. And uh, you know, I I, I don't expect uh, you know the same thing to happen. You know, of, of course, nobody saw Maryland coming. Probably your best performance of the year at home was against Ohio State, and that's not saying much 
either. So, um, yeah, you just want to, it, it bucks every trend as a lot of things that we've seen this year have done. And, and really it's, it's all about finishing on the high note and really that's all you can take from it at this point. And that's, I mean, that's not much, but it's something where, you know, I think you would rather, if you're going to say, Hey, you're going to be three and five, would you rather win at the beginning of the season or the end of the season? I mean, opponents aside, obviously you're going to pick the end of the season. So I, it's been really, uh, trying on those guys. I know you can, you can see that coming through and, you know, they're, they're going to talk about being one and oh this week. And I think you asked all those seniors about, uh, what this means and they reflected back to the one and oh, but I think it's just, it's gotten old for them pretty quickly and losing does not help that situation. So it's really tough to sit back and, and it feels like, watching the last eight weeks or whatever you feel like it's kind of all run together and jumbled and that's kind of a jumbled mess is a great way to to, to sort of sum up the entire season there's just been this this whole year has been and uh, you know this is our professional work setting so i'm sure everybody whatever you do for a living you can kind of uh, put this year in different segments on on how your bosses were handling it on how you were handling it on how your fellow employees were handling it and and the things that you do and here covering Penn State on the day-to-day basis and, and what we've tried to do, it has been very much like the spring where it felt like the abyss. Like It just felt like we had no idea what the heck was going to happen. The summer was very much like, okay, Big Ten, what the heck are you going to do here? Are, is everyone going to opt out? But once September rolled around, mid-September rolled around, and it was back on, it was about, what, a, a five-week sp- period of, of pretty much optimism, hope, anticipation, and very quickly the Indiana game hits, and then the Ohio State game hits, and then the rest of this snowball keeps moving downhill, and you get to a point where it's like, oh boy, uh, this is a, is this a be careful what you wish for kind of situation. But I think you're exactly right to the point, if you're going to finish 3-5, and five, putting the opponents aside, like you said, you'd love to beat Ohio State, but if you're going to look how you did in those first five games versus what maybe you look like in the last three, if they can go out and put together a complimentary performance and, and, and win convincingly against Michigan State or, or simply just win, you prob- you want that three-game stretch at the end of the season so you can go into this offseason feeling that way so your players can feel confidence and and, and, their, and the trust in the coaching staff and, and all that. So I think that's a really interesting point that you made. Well, and you look at Penn State's record and Michigan's record right now are the same. I, I, I'm pretty sure that they're, they're both two and five right now. Um, but you look at where Penn State is right now. You look at where Michigan is right now. And I know Jim Harbaugh's, you know, sort of mystique plays into that a little bit. But you certainly feel like you'd much rather be where Penn State is right now. And and I think we talked about it after that Michigan game. It felt like the loser of that game was sort of like a loser leaves town type of thing. Um, but maybe not to that extent. Um, but you, you just feel better about where Penn State stands than where Michigan stands. And, and, and really, if you're looking for silver linings, which that's what the season has been all about to this point, uh, you know, you, you got to feel much better about where you stand right now as compared to, say, where a Michigan stands. And that's a, that's one of those programs. You're not going to compete uh, on the recruiting track trail with uh or sorry you're not competing on the recruiting trail with uh northwestern or you know just some of those teams that you don't run across very often but you do run across michigan all the time and that's certainly where you want to sort of stack yourself in this conference yeah that's the measuring stick is is ohio state at this point in the big 10 but if you can be the second team right now and michigan's been in contention for that role during the the course of james franklin and jim harbaugh's shared tenures in the big 10 you'd like to stay ahead uh, a stride ahead of of michigan all you can even in a down year for this program what are we watching closely this week sean Uh, i mean every week feels a little bit different i think we're starting to, to to gain some new sense of new trends that have emerged 
since maybe mid-November. Um, and and we'll start with the quarterback spot because you know uh, how is how is how do we not? How does Clifford close this thing out? Um, you know, strong first half for the most part last week. Looked well put together. Looked composed. Made a mistake with that errant throw interception, and then they pretty much shut the offense down for the second half. One week earlier, very much game manager role when he missed. He missed to the sideline. He missed where it wasn't a dangerous throw. And it was a pretty efficient performance at Michigan. Used the legs, used the arm. Felt like there was some confidence going. I don't know what the second half against Rutgers does. um, But we typically figure out what Sean Clifford is going to do over the course of a game pretty early in the game. Uh, I think you'd love to see him come and, and again, look within, look controlled and look like he's playing within that that foundation that Kirk Shiraka wants him to play within, not trying to extend beyond that and, and running into some of the mistakes and issues that he has. Shouldn't have to play against the weather either. It should be fine, uh, which is crazy when you think about December 12th in, in central Pennsylvania, but uh, should, shouldn't have to play against that like we talked about them playing against that at Rutgers last week with the wind. Uh, if Clifford can be that same guy that takes care of the football, or at least, you know, you might want to, it might have one turnover or something like that. But if you can keep it away from Michigan State, I mean, that's pretty much all you need to be asked to do against Michigan State. Michigan State, of course, got that win over Michigan earlier this year. They beat Northwestern, which is obviously one of the most uh, incomprehensible things in the Big Ten this season. Uh, but at the same time, this is not a team that's built to come back. You still don't know what they're doing at quarterback. What's going to be interesting about that? this is if you get a great performance from Sean Clifford and what what does that say going into the offseason? That's probably there the trickiest yep. part for me is how do you handle this whole quarterback situation? It looked like last week, not a ton of trust in either guy. Shut it down. Do what you have to do. Get out of there with a win. Um, could that be the situation tomorrow? Or you know, could it be one of those senior days like in 2004 where they just came out and blew the doors off of Michigan State after a, a bad season? So it's a it's pretty interesting dynamic going there because you want to talk about fixing that quarterback room but you almost don't want it to be too, you know, you don't want too good of a performance here. And it's, it feels bad saying that because you're trying to win the game. But at the same time, that's the reality of the situation because you don't want to forget that you still have major issues in, in that room. Sean Clifford this week uh, veered a little bit away from the 1-0 thing. And he's usually very, you know, by the book with the company line on, on the 1-0 mentality during media discussions. But I counted at least three, maybe four times during our, our, our conversation on Tuesday uh, when, when he was available to, to the media where he did reference next year. And he said, you know, he talked about serving as a, as a springboard for next year or building off for next year. And, you know, usually we don't hear about next week. So to hear him say next year a few times, I thought that was interesting out of Sean Clifford. The other quarterback that we're talking about a lot here coming out of the Rutgers game, Will Levis. Uh, do we see less of Will Levis? Do we see more of Will Levis, the passer? 17 carries last week against Rutgers. No throws along the way. Uh, very much intertwined in the game plan. First quarter on with Sean Clifford. It was down by down kind of situation. Do we see that structure change against Michigan State? Do we see them go all in with that? And boy, I, I think there's nothing more that, even with the win against Michigan State, nothing more that would kind of poke the fan base in a negative way than seeing a repeat performance and seeing Will Levis go out there and do something like uh, 14 plays uh, with, with 14 carries and, and 45 yards on the ground. Maybe this is what they've been building to and saving for was that Michigan State game with, the, with Will yeah. Levis. So maybe that's what we're watching out for. 
Uh, I agree. It's going to be interesting to see how they run the football. This is uh, not a great Michigan State team, but their defensive line has some beef. It has stopped the run at times this season. So uh, I think Will Levis is going to have to be involved. Um, and I think that that's something that might frustrate some people. But at the same time, you got to be able to run the football. I, th- I think you're going to see uh, a bunch of Kevon Lee and Devin Ford, but uh, they also have to give them the football, as we talked about last week with Rutgers. You mentioned that's the quarterback people are talking about. On the other side of the ball, Michigan State still isn't sure what they're going to do a quarterback. Rocky Lombardi had the head injury last week. So you're wondering, uh, do, do they go with the backup? Uh, Thorne, Peyton Thorne, I think his name is. Um, and it's going and to he be... he has not been very good, head injury or not. I mean, let's yeah. face it. He has I mean, not been very effective. That is not a situation. It, it, it's actually funny to, to watch his numbers because there's been times when they hit big plays and he's like two of six for 105 yards and right, two touchdowns right. or something like that, or maybe not even two of six. Um, so they, they have some some big playability. Um, that's just what you got to do if your Penn State has got to keep those guys in front of you. Um, but this is an opportunity for them to, to get turnovers. It's an opportunity for them to rattle a quarterback who obviously you know had a head injury. I don't want to take advantage of a head injury, but you, you, if he's out there, he's, he's obviously well enough to play. Um, and if that backup is in there, you got to put some pressure on him. So I think this is shaping up to be uh, a very uh, tasty appetizer for Penn State as they, uh, you know, so as Penn, for Penn State's defense as they try to finish the season strong. I think they can control the line of scrimmage defensively. This offensive line not very good. I'd like to see them push it across for a few more sacks this week and and see what they can do defensively to sort of run the game as they've done in the last couple of weeks. You mentioned appetizer. I used the word feast for this defense in the prediction in the prediction I submitted uh, on our site earlier this week. I, I really like this opportunity, the way Penn State's been playing defensively the last couple of weeks, and and the team they're running into. Um, I think the the big reason for that 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 spread that you see right now, which is I think in the two touchdown range favoring Penn State, a lot of people say whoa, 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 both these teams have won two games. Michigan State has, has shown up on a couple occasions. I feel like, to me, the, the Spartans, where are the points coming from? Uh, maybe that's giving too much credit to Penn State after a couple matchups against Rutgers and, and Michigan. Uh, we'll find out soon enough. And we do talk about that quarterback situation for the Spartans with Stephen Brooks coming up in, in just a few minutes here on the podcast, along with a lot more on what Penn State fans should expect to see out of Michigan State. You mentioned Keevon Lee, Devin Ford. Would expect that that, that to be, a, a, again, a kind of a... a I would expect again to see Kevon Lee getting the bulk of those carries. Nothing's nothing's a sure deal there, but I feel like he has certainly earned that. And what we saw his usage late in the in the Rutgers game, putting that one away, uh, he looks like the guy they'll be able to lean on. But Devin Ford showed what he can do in, in that supplemental, complimentary kind of deal. It's something that we have talked about a lot with, with what he brings to the field. You saw that on display at Rutgers, um, and, and we'll see what kind of practice week those guys put together, and we'll see how heavily involved Will Levis is on the ground. Uh, I just think an inspired start here would be a tremendous sign because we have not seen inspired starts uh, when from Penn State on its home field. I think there's going to be uh, a, a, maybe a bit of a challenge there with the lack of any fans at all. Uh, maybe guys feeling like their senior day was shortchanged, or maybe they come out play pissed off a little bit extra because of the circumstances. Who knows how that plays out? But the last couple of weeks, we've seen Penn State come out of the gates, play well at Michigan, get an early touchdown drive, play solid defense. Go on the road, build a 17-0 lead against Rutgers, only allow two first half first downs and and get three consecutive scoring drives. Those are the kind of things that there was no sign of through the first five weeks. So, Sean, the first thing I'll be looking for is are, are they popping the pads like they were against Rutgers? Is, is does Kirk Chiraka look like this this offense is coming out of the gates sharp at least? Um, those are things that we've seen on back-to-back occasions now. I wasn't sure we'd see them in 2020. And if you see them for a third straight game, 
that feeds into to more of that, you know, a- exiting the season momentum that we discussed. Yeah, and it, it, I think it just comes down to if Penn State shows up, they, you know, they have enough talent to to overwhelm this team. Uh, I mentioned earlier about the running, you know, they can stop the run at one level, but, you know, once it gets past, if you break into that secondary, I mean, 18 rushing touchdowns Michigan State's given up this year, they've scored two themselves. I mean, there's not much more of a, (laughs) of a, of a mirror situation than, uh, than that. That's been really remarkable. And then, you know, it's, I I just think teams haven't had to throw as much on them. Just the stats against Michigan or the stats for Michigan State this year are, fascinating i mean they've they're getting doubled up 34 and a half to 17 is the average score of their games i mean it's there's just not a ton to like and then they turn around and beat northwestern so you know they've they've got something in them they're gonna play hard it's a new coach etc uh, etc cetera, et cetera. but at the same time if penn state this is kind of what brian Doan and i were talking about with Rutgers last week if penn state shows up and wants to go there's no reason that they shouldn't be able to do so now putting points up hasn't exactly been a specialty for Penn State uh, themselves but at the same time you're playing at home you've got a little bit of extra motivation with the senior day so I think just across the board this is one that if you were going to see a breakout game this this one makes a little bit more sense to me than than even Rutgers last week you used the phrase not built to come back applied to, to Michigan State that is very appropriate last in the Big Ten in points per game last in the Big Ten in total yards per game. And, and as far as just asserting themselves early, they're last in the Big Ten in rushing yards per attempt. Uh, and, and oh, by the way, they are last in the Big Ten in turnover differential. Uh, we've talked about turnovers killing Penn State at times. It has been a consistent theme, starting with a seven-turnover game, which is going to skew that a bit, against Rutgers in Week 1. I mean, that's, that set the tone for a Michigan State team that has, uh, has, has struggled, but as you said, had that outburst against the previously unbeaten Northwestern team. So make of that what you will. A couple more items, more mixes on the offensive front. Uh, Phil Troutwine trying to get longer looks at guys. We saw a lot of Juice Scruggs at right guard last week. That meant Caden Wallace was on the sideline for an extended period of time, and Will Fries was back at right tackle. Um, are we going to see C.J. Thorpe available? Does that matter? Is this Juice Scruggs now getting worked in uh, at a level where you're going to see maybe uh, setting the stage for 2021? Very curious about the offensive line and, and how Phil Troutwine works guys in, and also the tight end group. Brenton Strange was very involved in the first drive last week. I think he had three catches in the first quarter. And Theo Johnson, we talked about him right off the bat being a really impressive blocker as a true freshman. Are we going to see them work into this passing game a little bit more over the course of this matchup against Michigan State? I think there's opportunities there. Uh, just a couple spots I'll be keeping my eyes on. And one more I wanted to mention, Jordan Stouts had trouble putting together consecutive games where he's getting the job done at a high level in all of his in all of his roles. And he has a few of them. But, you know, whether it was road trip to Michigan, road trip to Nebraska over the past four or five games, inconsistencies, kicking the ball out of bounds, punt game has not been consistent. This is a Michigan State team where you bury them in field field position. I don't know how they have a chance against you. I I just we've already talked about the offensive struggles. We're going to talk about a second and some defensive strides Penn State has made. I think if you can avoid giving them the ball at the 35 yard line or, or, or at midfield, um, in certain situations, and you can keep them kind of back against their own end zone, it's just going to set the stage for a lot of success for you. I agree, and I think the Penn State's defense can run this game, and, and that's something we talked about with, with Brent Pry earlier this week. Now, a lot of big-picture stuff when we talked about Pryor. Very refreshing, very important thing that I took away from it. Grey Goose and Kombucha. That's that's one that I never thought of, but apparently Brent Pry's got the hook up there, and, and that's that, that's got to be something we try this weekend. 
I'm not gonna lie, I've I've tr- I, I didn't go Grey Goose, but I have tried a variation of that combination in my past. It, it's not bad. It is a, a bit spicy, uh, but yeah, I'm. Not, I mean, <laughs> look, Brent Pry came out the gates on fire on, on on Thursday morning, and we appreciated it. He's always a good conversation, but a different kind of a thing around here. There was a levity to it, but there was also. A, a transparency to it. He specifically referenced some guys. I'll get to that in a second. But there was another moment. I, I, again, go check out this entire video. It's up on Lions 24-7. If you want to get inside the mind of a Penn State coach right now, and, and this is a long-time Penn State coach. all Every year with Franklin, he's been by his side. He, Someone referenced, uh, Mike Poorman referenced the, the gray on his beard showing through more than in past conversations with us. And he started laughing. He said, that's what 0-5 will do to you, man. Shit. And that was one of two shits we got. And uh, so you got two out of me today, too. So it's a, a lot of fun all around, to be honest, for a team that has had its struggles, had the defensive frustrations. Maybe that rubs people the wrong way. But it was just nice to kind of have have a, a, some conversation with the levity over the course of this 2020 season. And this this one served it up. It was an exhale is what it was. And, and just yeah. kind of getting getting to the finish line and going with it. But, yeah, he, he, he admitted that defense is not up to snuff. It's not really the expectation that they set. And a lot of that is fundamental stuff. And you asked him about tackling. And that's something where he kind of got off on a tangent and specifically called out guys like Ellis Brooks and Jesse Lucchetta, those starting linebackers that we've – kind of been harping on all all season about struggling and you know it's just from from start to finish if you can't do the fundamentals i mean you're you're going to end up 0 and 5 essentially um so that's been that was refreshing to to hear that um you know they 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 kind of came out a little bit more complicated than they want. And I think that that has a lot to do with the timing of the schedule and trying to do everything that you can to get ready for Ohio State. And that's a little bit too much for guys, especially guys that are stepping in as first-time starters. And you don't have guys that can clean up messes like Micah Parsons. And he, he was quick to admit that, that that's really kind of where they went wrong in the start of the season is just trying to do too much too fast. And maybe just not quite accounting enough for for the loss of Micah Parsons. Uh, and may, maybe I mean they knew it was a big loss, and they knew the timing of that happening in August didn't give them much wiggle room to to, to devise schemes that were gonna cover that up or, or do the best you could to. And he called, you know, we've said it before, the eraser that Micah Parsons is turning those fifteen yard gains downfield into four or five yard gains because of what he can do extending uh, laterally and, and and getting to the edge. He mentioned that he felt like Lucetta and Brooks were doing a, a solid job in the box, but it was when they had to get in position in the open field, out in space, on the perimeter, that's where the missed tackles were piling up. That's where the oppo- opponents were, were picking up big chunk plays that, that were you know keeping them on the field. Um, and it was really interesting to hear him go to those two veterans. Uh, you know, the, We have to tiptoe around the way we ask this because you don't want to turn a coach off and shut him down on a subject by basically saying, hey, this guy's not playing. Playing well, can you help? Can you help criticize him uh, to to, <laughs> to to do that for us so we can get some quotes out of it? You, know, you bring up a question, you see where it goes, and he went right to to Lucetta and Brooks as two guys that he feels like moving forward. You know, th- these are both junior junior eligibility guys. They need to be uh, they need to be more consistent. They need to be more locked in there. Um, he did say he waited too long. He felt like to scale things back. I, I don't know if that's uh, him being stubborn or him thinking that. He had the talent on the field and the guys who, who could take those steps early in the season, but it sounds like he let the season go a bit too far, and we saw that through the play on the field before scaling things back, making it less complicated. But he did have good things to say as well. Brandon Smith, that linebacker, the first-year starter, a sophomore, and then Jaquan Brisker, the second-year player with Penn State, senior eligibility after coming out of Lackawanna College. Those two guys, he specifically said, 
on the rise, feels like they're trending in a really good direction, thinks he needs to get more playing time for Brandon Smith. It's been interesting to see Brandon Smith coming off the field on some of these passing downs. Uh, that's been curious to watch. Uh, but but Jaquan Brisker was just named Penn State's defensive player of the game uh, against Rutgers. So I, I think that's that shows you what the staff thinks about them, and we certainly now have a better understanding. Brent Price said, this is the Jaquan Brisker that he's been hoping to see since they recruited him. And it's, you know, he misses the spring. He misses a lot of the summer. And and really, you were kind of hoping he would turn the corner earlier. But yeah, he's been solid the last few weeks. Um, that's something we'll talk about with the seniors. But they want him back next year. And I think he would be wise to come back next year. I think he's a guy, that, a draftable guy eventually. But if he leaves now, it really doesn't make a ton of sense. And, and, and Pry is... I think he was kind of candid when he ta- when he talked about that because he talked about Brisker, he talked about Castro Fields potentially coming back, and you know some of these guys can can definitely certainly gain uh, draft status by coming back. Antonio next year. Shelton, another guy he specifically went to, and and just for fun, a redshirt sophomore, Jason Oway, also got a mention, and and guys who should have that discussion about coming back because maybe expectations weren't fulfilled or maybe circumstances dictated that they couldn't maximize their potential, and 2021 could maybe serve as a launch pad for them. And it should. I mean, that's something you got to flat out tell your guys is you're not sure what's going to happen in the draft, and you know you obviously have some success stories. Kevin Givens is doing well right now in in, in San Francisco, but at the same time, these are essentially guys who are juniors looking to leave early. You've got that option for that next year and you've got just so much uh, ground to make up and, and more football, more reps to get. And I, I think you got to be frank with some of these guys and say, okay, Jake, Jake Juan Brisker, if you're going to leave right now, be a sixth round pick, be a seventh round pick. Okay. That's fine. You stick around. You can be a second round guy eventually. I mean, that, that matters. And that's kind of how you got to approach it. And I'm not sure if that's, if those numbers all line up, but you know, it's just kind of the strides that we've seen from him through the season. And I know uh, a lot of people, you know, want to lump the two safeties together, but Jaquan Brisker has, has really improved. And I know they're not seeing crazy passing offenses or anything like that and you'd like to see him finish some plays and if he can finish some plays he can certainly move up the up the the uh, draft board but at the same time I think you got to be frank with some of these guys and say hey it's going to benefit us absolutely it's going to benefit you absolutely to come back and another year of college is is a lot to ask but at the same time that's that's a big move when you're talking about potential salary for next season or two yeah, years from now he- he says, you know, Brisker goes from a sub-package guy, um, transitions to the other safety spot this year, and, and then he's seeing the whole gamut of, of game action and, and also doing that without the spring practice and with, with a, a strange adjusted abbreviated preseason camp. Um, so it feels like he's finding a groove. And, and, and by the way, um, I, you mentioned kind of, and we'll talk about this with the seniors, but I, I wanted to mention it. Ask a guy how much he wants to make being a professional athlete. You know, how much do you want to make long term? By the time you hang up the cleats, how much would you like to have made from the NFL? You can lay it out and say, okay, I want to make, let's say the number is five million. You want to start there, okay? Start, start, start there. How long is it going to take you to get to that number? If you come in as a second round pick and then get that second contract coming off a second round pick status, versus coming in as an undrafted free agent, starting with the practice squad, coming in as a late round pick. Very little guaranteed. I mean, just start with how much guaranteed money would you like to be on the table for your career? That's a good way to talk it through. You don't know what guys need immediately in their lives, what their families might need immediately. There's different timelines in place. But those were the names that Pry brought up unsolicited, and I was surprised that we heard any specific names at all, so we felt like we should share them with you. Another name he brought up unsolicited was Daquan Hardy, um, playing the star position at the spot that we talked about, maybe seeing more of him earlier in the year. Um, he feels like Hardy needs to get bigger. Obviously, the 
physical maturation needs to continue for the retro freshman, but they feel like they found the fit. They feel like they found the guy that was drawing com- some comparisons to the way John Reed handled that star role, handled that slot coverage over his Penn State career. They like how hard he is covering. They think he's proven himself as a blitzer. He picked up a sack at, at Rutgers. And again, this is a kid who showed up last year, maybe 160 pounds soaking wet. I think he's now 175 in that range, continues to get bigger. They hope they get Castro Fields back at cornerback. But again, a lot of excitement about that young cornerback group finishing out this season. Uh, one more note from, from Pry because he's been with Franklin for 10 years. Give a quick anecdotal story about last Thursday, going over to James Franklin's uh, house for the first time in a long time. He said that's when it really hit him walking into that house that Franklin's wife, Fumi, and his two daughters haven't been in that house since March. You know, Price says you go home, especially after these losses, your kids don't care, win or lose. They're there to love you up. They're there to see their dad, not to see the coach. He says, to think about Franklin going home after some of these brutal games, knowing that the criticism is there, fair or unfair in some cases, and going back to an empty house and compartmentalizing and dealing with that, it hit him on a, on a, on a it's, he said it stung him. So I just wanted to pass that along. Brent Pry, I think if you're looking for who's tapped into what James Franklin is all about mentally on a year-by-year basis, this is a good guy to look at. It's been 10 years going now uh, where they've been working at the hip. Yeah, and that's uh, it, the guys that are around him probably aren't going to be always the ones that give that that sort of analysis and insight but you know when when they're noticing it something obviously is off so i mean it's definitely something that uh you know you can't ignore for this season i know this season's been tough to watch for everybody but uh it's something that it really just kind of keeps popping up and that's been uh it's been tough to hear from a human aspect of it i know not everybody wants to hear that because he makes six million dollars and you know there's certainly some validity to that but at the same time yeah the human aspect is 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 certainly taking a toll on james franklin this year let's get back to this football game stephen brooks from the 24 7 sports michigan state site joins us right now and we'll get into the conversation about penn state michigan state and what's going to happen on saturday afternoon This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time to put the spotlight squarely on the Michigan State Spartans who come to Beaver Stadium this Saturday for a 3.30 p.m. kickoff. Another two-win team. There are so many two-win teams across the Big Ten Conference. We're going to have a look at two of them on the field Saturday. And uh, we bring in an expert on all things Spartans with Stephen Brooks, who covers this squad for the Spartan tailgate site. It is our 24-7 Sports Michigan State Hub. Stephen, we had you on last year under much different circumstances. We spent some time together in a press box. That ain't happening this time around either. Uh, but we're certainly happy to share some space with you here on the podcast once again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, man, if, we, if only we would have knew what was coming uh, last year. That would have been a whole different show, probably. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, I don't know how the Penn State folks feel, but I mean, I think on, on Michigan State side, everyone's really excited that this is the the end of the season game again. Obviously, with the rivalry trophy involved and all that. Um, hopefully, you know, there's not many things that are fun or normal about this year, but hopefully, uh, we can get back to, to having this at the end of the year. I think again, at least on Michigan State side, they really enjoy that uh, closing out the season against against Penn State. 
And there's not much normal about that land grant trophy, but it is, it is something. It is a captivating award that, that goes to the winner of this one. And um, so Michigan State, Penn State, it's been a contentious series. Uh, you look at the all-time record, it, you know, Penn State has a chance to, to actually tie that all up this week with a win and uh, over recent years, there's been some, some tough losses for the Nittany lions, but I want to go back to last year uh, as well here, because Steven, when we last saw these two teams on the field, it was a rainy, rainy, dreary day in East Lansing and a gray kind of day. And Penn state really took it to the Spartans. And it felt like a lifeless listless program at that point for Michigan state. Well, Penn State was was actually at that point rolling into November on beaten. It feels like a long time ago, but that felt like a program at crossroads. There's been a coaching change. Mel Tucker, year one now after a long regime for the last head coach. Can you kind of give us the lay of the land in East Lansing these days? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's funny you mentioned that. You know that game. Um, you remember it was dark and rainy and cold and. For Michigan State, that was after uh, consecutively, you know, getting beaten down by Ohio State, then blown out by Wisconsin 38-0, and then you get, you know, just handled by Penn State pretty good. Again, cold, rainy, just miserable day. The setting and the circumstances put all together, like, it was like a movie. I mean, if you were going to make a movie about a legendary coach's fall, that would be the setting, you know, and it felt like it that day. It's like, man. This almost feels like the last nail in the coffin. I mean, they had a couple more games to go. They they blew a game against Illinois the next week, which sort of had the same feel. Uh, I think they were they were up twenty something that game, but that Penn State game did, it had that feeling of like, man, this is the end now, like for real. Um, you know, because there had been whispers and some people were ready to move on and blah blah blah. But like that game specifically, I remember. Um, I can't even really describe it. I don't think I'm doing a great job, but like it just felt. Like that was the the tipping point. Like, all right, we're over the hill now. We're definitely going down as it relates to to this story and in the story arc there. Um. So yeah, uh, Mark Antonio just uh, up and retires on February fourth. Kind of the timing for sure was surprising. Not the the actual move. Again, yeah, you know, I thought a lot of people thought that would be his last year last year, and there were much much better opportunities to do it than the day before uh, the second signing period. Um. But that's that's how it happened, and then. Uh, February 12th, Mel Tucker comes in, um, you know, initially turned him down. They circled back with a whole bunch of money, not only for him, but for his assistants. And uh, here he is. And, um, you know, I think in a lot of ways, um, you got to cut him a ton of slack. And I know it sounds weird for a guy making five and a half million, but I mean, so he gets, again, hired on February 12th, March 12th. If it was, if it's not March 12th, it might be 13, 14, 15. It's right there when the world sort of flipped upside down and, you know, Michigan State's campus was emptied almost immediately after that. Uh, so we're talking about a coach who had about a month uh, to to meet his players face to face. Less than that, really, even for his staff. I think he hired his last coach like right around the end of February. So they, they you know, some of those guys only had a couple weeks, and then it was shut down obviously all the way until j- June when they come back. And as you know, training camp was on and off. So he's had a really, really um tough hand you know dealt his way this year and again I mean it's hard to have too much sympathy this is big time football it is what it is but you know I don't I can't recall a first year coach ever going through as many different challenges as he's had to do so all in all I think people are excited about what he's brought here I think he's injected some some needed energy into a lot of different areas of the program it seems like he's going to be a good recruiter that still has to pan out but it seems like it's trending that way and you know, that's what it's going to take first and foremost to get this thing back on track is uh, 
is is, is boosting the talent level because that had fallen off considerably uh, near the end of the D'Antonio era, which we saw in 2018, we saw in 2019, and we're obviously seeing this year as he tries to steer it right, back in the right direction. You mentioned the bizarre circumstances of of kind of his landing in East Lansing in the months that lied ahead, and then game number one, Rutgers snaps a 21 game conference losing streak on your home field, so that's a rough start. But week two, a lot of people were paying attention to this one. A lot of people got some pleasure out of this. Is Michigan State going on the road to Ann Arbor, beating Michigan in that rival game, 27 24? Um, now that hasn't proven to be some kind of launching pad that was followed up by a 49 to seven loss to Iowa, 24 to, to nothing loss to Indiana. Uh, and then they beat Northwestern followed by last week, a 40 point loss to Ohio state. I know they had a game canceled along the way against Maryland due to some COVID concerns, uh, down there in college park, but it's, can you help me make sense of, of this two and four, six game stretch? Because you've got some really low points, but you've also got a win over a previously on beaten Northwestern team that's going to be playing for a Big Ten championship soon. I will try uh, because <laughs> I don't really even know, Tyler. Like, honestly, it's it's been a weird, you know, you just laid it out. It's been a, a true roller coaster. I mean, the Rutgers game, they turned it over seven times. That's what people have to understand. You know, if you might you're just, just look at the result and say, ha ha, you lost to Rutgers. Well, first of all, if I think anybody that's watched them this year knows that that's a different program right now. They're, you know, they're not just the punching bag anymore, um, and I think that'll continue uh, with Shiano over there. But um, they turned it over seven times, and you just can't win a game that way. And despite that, you know, they were it was a one-score game in the fourth quarter, despite all of that. So, you know, you, you kind of throw that one out the window in terms of evaluating them. Um, Michigan, like you said, hasn't proven to be a good win, um, just – on the field, you know, it'll always mean a lot here. And for Tucker to do that in his first year and to, you know, sort of, you know, uh, twist the knife into Harbaugh a little bit too with, with what he's got going on. You know, people love that part of it. Um, yeah, I, I think, like I said, uh, earlier, you know, that you're dealing with a team that's just, it doesn't have as much high level Big Ten talent, you know, as it used to regularly, you know, during the middle of the last decade and everything when they were, Sort of one of, when they were not sort of they were one of the top dogs or even before that when they were right on that fringe they were definitely an upper tier team. Um, they just don't have that talent right now. They have a couple guys like that, and that's where I think you see sort of when all the cylinders are firing and they can play a competent game, a clean game. They didn't turn it over against Michigan. They won. They turned over one time against Northwestern. They won. You're sort of seeing a pattern there. Again, I think that's where that you know some of those crumbs of talent you know all working together, zero mistakes, clean game, smart game plan. There is enough there for them to scare some people that are sort of like teams, but um, they just don't have the horses right now to play any, to, to compete against anybody that's definitively better. In Ohio State, I mean, is a galaxy better. Um, Indiana, obviously, definitively better, and, and they just got their doors blown off by Iowa. And I, I think by now, I think we can say they're definitively better. So. Um, that's kind of the situation. I, again, I think if they're if it's relatively equal or close, they got to play in pretty much an A A plus game, and they can hang in there, maybe even win. But um, against anybody else, they just don't have the manpower right now. I don't think. And this is a program that early on in your coverage, uh, three years finishing inside the top 10, 2013 Rose Bowl win, 2015 got into the college football playoff semifinal, was not a pretty performance when they got there, but they got there. And that's something that not a lot of Big Ten teams have been able to do. And uh, here we are coming off of back-to-back seven-win seasons, new head coach and Mel Tucker. 
the looming question, at least from the outside looking in, is how are things going to get on the right track offensively? And before I dive into that bigger picture, can you catch us up on the trigger man? What is the plan at quarterback? I was following your coverage, and, and this is something we saw pop up a few weeks ago with the Nebraska game. We've dealt with it here on our beat. Uh, a reluctance to name the starter midway through a game week. Yeah, uh, Mel Tucker hasn't done that once this year, has never proclaimed the starter ahead of time, um, you know, uh, whether it was clear or not or or anything. So Rocky Lombardi has started all six of their games. He's their oldest quarterback. Um, he's a captain figure. They don't have official captains, but I mean, he's, he's one of their best leaders. Um, not a super accurate guy, just kind of a, a gamer type. You know, he'll, his, uh, his numbers might look ugly, but he can do some things that can move the ball and, and win you games um, as we've seen in the two wins, but we've seen plenty of bad from him as well, obviously. Uh, he left last week's game against Ohio state in the second quarter, which with what looks like a head injury, we don't have confirmation on that, but just watching the play, it seemed to be, that's what, what happened. He left the field right away, went up to the tunnel and then he was in street clothes. Um, so I'm not even sure if he'll be available. It might just be a, a it might go with Peyton Thorne, the red shirt freshman by default. And he's the guy who took over last week. He's the only other quarterback who's played this year. Um, so to me, it makes sense to, to play Thorne because he's, he, again, he hasn't started. Um, he's only come in relief, re- meaningful minutes, you know, two times. That was against Indiana and then last week against Ohio State. To me, I think you've got to give him a longer look and see what you've got from him. Lombardi has played in a couple games in previous seasons. He, again, he started the first six this year. You know what you've got in him. I think if it's me, you got to give uh, Peyton Thorne a look, a long look here, you know, and just say, hey, it's yours, because they got to go into this season knowing what they have at quarterback. And I don't think they truly know with Thorne yet. And there's a third, too, and, and I, maybe they'd get to him, Theo Day. Um, I don't think so. He seems to be sort of out of the mix. But, um, you know, as they try to rebuild this thing, they got to figure out, do we need to go get a transfer guy? You know, do we need a, a stopgap? Uh, they're excited about the 2021 kid from Texas that they have committed. And I think he could be a promising guy down the line, but, um, you know, true freshman quarterbacks are always a roll of the dice. Uh, and it's not always an ideal situation. So yeah, I don't, moral story. I don't know what's going to happen at Penn state. I know what I would do. I just laid that out, but, um, I would have done that, you know, a couple games ago too. Again, I think we've seen what we've seen from Lombardi. Um, I think it's time to get a long look at Thorne, but, Seems to be when Lombardi is healthy, they like what he brings and, and what he does uh, for the offense. So I'd, if he's healthy, I guess I would expect him to play. But I think the the logical thing would be to start Thorne. Lombardi checked in for a, a series or two in East Lansing against Penn State last year. Uh, the final stat line for him, one of six passing, five yards and an interception. Obviously, the body of work has grown from them uh, for, f- since then. Um, Brian Lewerke, I mean, I think Penn State fans are going to be hesitant to brush off any quarterback because there's still some scars from Lewerke coming up big in key moments against this team. But his magic ran out against Penn State last year. If the magic doesn't isn't restored for the quarterback position against uh, Penn State this Saturday, is there any hope for this Michigan State team? They are ranked last in the Big Ten in rushing yards per game, uh, last in, in average rushing yard per attempt, last in points per game, last in total yards. I mean, that's a lot of lasts. Yeah, yeah, they. You know, they can't win without even solid quarterback play. Is what I would say. No, because like you just mentioned, their running game is almost non-existent um you know you talk about big picture stuff the the offensive line just is not really has not performed at a, a big 10 level consistently you know 
they showed up against Northwestern actually, and Northwestern had a very, very strong run defense and ran for a season high 195 on them. And that was like, whoa, it was like an out of body experience. Like, who are these guys? Because again, they, they just hadn't been able to compete regularly on a Big Ten level. And when I talk about the talent level falling off uh, and depth, you know, obviously plays into that. That's the position that's at the top of the list. They just have not recruited well there. They haven't developed well there in recent years. Um, yeah, again, they're, they're just, they're not, at a, they're not a competent Big Ten level line. And so uh, most times, you know, they have flashes, but all in all, they're, they're just not up to par. And so the running game is, is almost, um, yeah, like I said, non-existent. Uh, and obviously that factors into what a quarterback can do and what he has to do and everything. But, um, basically the, the, the only consistent weapon this offense has shown this year is the deep ball. And so that's, you know, that's a low percentage thing to sort of lean on, obviously, but it has worked from time to time. Um, that's sort of been Lombardi's strength. I think that's what's kept him in there because Thorne hasn't shown that proficiency as much, uh, chucking it deep. And they're a team that they're an offense that relies on big plays. You know, they're not just going to go. 80 yards on you and 12 plays consistently. I mean, that I don't even know if that's happened all year. They need a big chunk play in that drive if they're going to get points off of it. Um, that's almost, you know, a hard and fast rule. And I get, you know, everybody knows chunk plays lead to points. And there's, there's all sorts of stats and metrics there, but like they need it. They're not just going to be able to chip away all the way down the field on you. Um, that's because of that lack of running game. It's because the quarterback play hasn't been super accurate, you know, to just dink and dunk all the way down. So. It's not a consistent unit at all. Um, they've got some talent at receiver, but again, quarterbacks sort of up in the air. The running backs have been pretty uh, uninspiring, I guess I'd say this year. And then the offensive line just needs a ton of work. So mm. if they can't break off a couple big plays and then they have, you know, 40, 50, 60 yarders, they've been able to do that from time to time. If they can't get something like that going, it's, it's hard to imagine them really hanging in with, with almost anybody. Receiver Jalen Naylor remains the name for Penn State fans to know and the Penn State defensive unit to know going into this game in terms of that big play department. 20 catches this year, not a huge number, but he's averaging about 20.1 yards per reception over the course of those six games. Uh, defensively, this is a, a program that sounds like they're going to need strong defense to have a chance to win games this year. Um, what, what can we expect? Who are some of the game breakers and where are some of the weaknesses? Yeah, that's been an interesting unit because I think they've probably been better than some of their numbers look. Um, I know their scoring defense is really skewed because of all those turnovers. Um, again, seven against Rutgers. I think it was like three against um, Iowa at least. Uh, it, was, it was like 14 through the first three or four games. I don't have it all in front of me, but they've turned the ball over a ton. They're four short fields. Therefore, they're getting scored on and their scoring defense numbers are up. But at times, their defense has played really well. The big thing over here, you know, this year is they've shifted from the the four three quarters that D'Antonio always ran to now a four two five um, under Tucker and, and Scotty Hazelton, their DC, and so they're not running as much of that uh, cover four. It's a lot of of single high man, uh, man free, and cover three. So a whole bunch of different looks there, um, and obviously you're taking one of the linebackers out of the equation. So the guys to know, I'd say, are safety Xavier Henderson, number three. He's their strong safety, box safety guy, and He's really active in run support. He basically is sort of that third linebacker a lot of times. Um, just a really good athlete. He can chase stuff down in the open field. He's not gonna, he's not gonna blanket you deep, you know, on a, on a 40 yard bomb or anything, but, but really active near the line of scrimmage. Uh, linebacker Antoine Simmons, number 34 is probably their best player. Um, little undersized, but, but really quick. Um, tough, plays bigger than he is. 
Uh, he's going to be around the ball at all times. He's, I always call him a heat-seeking missile. He's just he's always bam. He's right there. He's a really fun player to watch. Um, let me see the other uh, Shakur Brown, cornerback number twenty-nine. He's he's had a lot of interceptions this year. I think he's kind of a boomer bust guy. He's he's really uh, highly touted by PFF, and you know his his analytics and grades seem to be very high. I think he's still for me he's still a little too inconsistent. Um, whether it's in tackling or coverage, but he's a ball hawk. So he's a guy to be aware of. He is their best corner. Um, and then I guess another guy I'd mention is Naquan Jones, number 93. He's their defensive tackle, fifth-year guy. Um, he's their best disruptor there. I mean, they got a lot of solid guys that can just build a wall and, and you know, stuff the run that way. But he's he's their best, uh, you know, pocket collapser type of guy, um, pass rush type. That's sort of one of the big weaknesses, though, overall, is pass rush, um, especially from a D-line. They don't get a lot of pressure when they just rush for um and again i think the back end could be a lot more consistent for my taste but um they, you know they have their moments but overall i would say the the d-line's inability to consistently generate pass rush is one of the biggest weaknesses they they are really good against the run um, which michigan state has been for years and there's you know there's these are all new guys for the most part but uh they're still really good against the run but they a lot of qbs have way too much time uh to just sit back in the pocket and, and do damage um, anything of note to, to kind of bring to the table here regarding Michigan State special teams play, whether it's the good, the bad, or the ugly? Um, I can do it. Yeah, it's it's not really it's not great. Um, running it down real quick, Matt, their field goal kicker does not have a strong leg. Uh, anything past fifty is really dicey. Even in the Ford, the high forties, you're kind of holding your breath. Um, you know, he can make the chip shots fairly regularly, but he he doesn't have much power. Um, the return game has struggled for years, kind of. Uh, but they do have weapons there. They just they're, they're not getting it blocked up very well. Jaden Reed is a is a guy there, number five. He's their slot receiver, um, transfer from Western Michigan. He was a freshman All American there in 2018. He's eligible for the first time this year. He's probably their best ball in his hands guy. Um, Naylor's a really good, you know, explosive deep threat and everything too. And he's probably their fastest guy. But Reed is that shifty in a phone booth guy. Um, and so he's returning stuff. He hasn't really broken any big ones this year, but the potential is there. Um, and then just in terms of coverage, they've been pretty bad, quite honestly. It's, it's gotten better lately, but um, that's been a weakness, no doubt, overall, is is kick and punt return coverage. All right, let's get into uh, how you see this one playing out. By, by the way, that, that stands out to me, an offense that that relies on the big play but also, you know, can't back that up with the long-range kicking uh, from the field goal specialist. That, that's concerning, obviously. Um, it's leading me to kind of bring Michigan State's total down. It feels like Penn State's playing pretty good defensive football compared to where they were earlier in the season. Uh, we'll see how that holds up against Michigan State. I, I'm going to give my prediction here a little bit later w- with my co-host Sean Fitz on the podcast, but would love to hear one from you and, and your reasoning behind it if, if you're ready to give one. I am leaning Penn State. You know, I wouldn't be stunned in any way if Michigan State won. I mean, again, I almost don't know what to expect from this team week in and week out because of the weird nature of it. Um, I think they will sort of bounce back with a cleanish game after sort of just getting demoralized against Ohio State, which they can do. You know, I mean, that'll happen. It's not like they're they're new in that regard. Um, but I would say something like a like Penn State, like a twenty four MSU. Uh, 13-ish maybe something like that it's I do think they'll struggle to score if they can keep Penn State under 20 then maybe we've got a game there you know but um 
until the offense has just been so inconsistent that, uh, and again, you, when you're relying on big plays as much as they have, that's just not sustainable, you know? So, um, until they can show some more consistency and it hasn't been the case for a while, then, um, then, then yeah, I'll go Penn State 24 13. All right. That's Stephen Brooks from Spartan Tailgate, the 24 7 Sports Michigan State site. We really appreciate it. We hope to see you in person in the press box in East Lansing next year and uh, start a new chapter in college football, get back to what we love to do. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, look forward to your coverage coming on Saturday. Uh, we'll see what happens out there. And uh, congrats on, on getting through the regular season. And I guess we both will hold our breath and see what the Big Ten has up its sleeve for next week. Right, right. Yeah, best of luck to you, man. Thanks for having me on, and uh, we'll talk again. We've heard from Steven. We've heard his prediction. It's time for our predictions, and we'll start with you, Sean. Michigan State versus Penn State. Last time they played in Beaver Stadium, heartbreaking loss in Happy Valley. Last time they played in general, a really ugly performance by the Spartans and en route to kind of reshaping their entire program in that offseason. Yeah, it's been uh, really back and forth and not in a pretty way for the last couple of years. Obviously, Michigan State's had maybe more success against Penn State than anybody outside of uh, of Ohio State. But still, at the same time, I still like Penn State this week. Uh, you look, they haven't you know really put up a ton of points. Uh, let's see. I've got them scoring 29 here. Got, them, got Penn State winning 29 to 13. Um, you know, I think that's probably about right. Uh yeah, fourteen and a half is that the is that the latest line from from William? I don't know Hill, if it's the latest. I think that was the initial line. I, think I don't know where we it is now. Predicting about and, and honestly, I I made this score beforehand. I I don't have a ton of confidence in Penn State putting up points, but I also don't have a ton of confidence in Michigan State's defense in in holding them down. And as you mentioned before, as we mentioned before, Michigan State not a team that's built to come from behind. So you get out, you get uh, you get running the ball, you get some some of that short passing game working, and you should be able to go through this one. I I, I don't want to say Michigan State's a team that has sort of mailed it in, but I think they've scored uh, in their last three losses 19 points total. So uh, that's got to be something that's, that, that's on your mind going into this game. And, you know, I like uh, I like Penn State. And Steven mentioned they don't really have a guy who can convert field goals from long distance. So it, uh, points are at a premium right now for Michigan State. Um, my score reflects that. I go 26 to 10. The Nittany Lions winning. We're at the exact same margin there. We're both apparently anticipating some field goal action from from Penn State kickers, whether it's Jake Pinniger or Jordan Stout along the way. Um, aside from that, put me down for a 100-yard performance from Jahan Dotson and uh, Kevon scoring his fourth touchdown uh, since mid-November. I, I do think this is, again, a feast opportunity for this Penn State defense. This is a game where you say, if you're going to put up some sack numbers, and we've been waiting for some sack numbers, Feels like a great opportunity for them to do that uh, in this matchup. And, and by the way, Mark Brennan going a little bit more high scoring here, but similar margin, 35 to 20. He picks Penn State to win it. Uh, we did want to reflect here quickly on uh, the fact that it is senior day, albeit a different one. Uh, because of this Pennsylvania restriction change, not going to see fans in the stadium. Because of the NCAA eligibility role, any of these guys could be playing college football again in 2021. And because of the week nine uncertainty, these guys might be back in Beaver Stadium playing uh, a week from now. So with all that said, here is the list of scholarship guys. It's a pretty small group of scholarship guys that have the senior eligibility. 
cornerback three Castro Fields, safety Lamont Wade, safety Jaquan Brisker, defensive tackle Antonio Shelton, defensive end Shaka Tony and Shane Simmons, and then offensive center uh, Michael Mennett, and offensive tackle slash offensive guard, depending on the snap, uh, Will Fries. Uh, the walk-on group here, uh, Trevor Baker, Carson Landis, Ben Wilson, and I think most notably here, Isaac Lutz, who has contributed in the passing game. Um, and, and these guys have contributed in, in different special teams roles as well. But uh, those scholarship guys, Sean, anything jump off the page? We spoke earlier from Price conversation about, hey, maybe it makes sense for you to be back in 2021. I will say, I think Shaq Tony, I would imagine he is gone. I don't really know about Mennett, if it makes sense for him to stick around. Um, what say you about this group? Uh, first off, I want to recognize the, the walk-ons, especially Isaac Lutz. That's been a fantastic story for him to, to crack into the, the rotation and be as consistent as he's been. Didn't really expect that. Didn't really think that Penn State would get to that point, but he's made the most of his opportunity, deserves credit for doing so. That's been really cool to watch him because he was a guy that went on scholarship for a year, was a special teamer, a guy that, you know, really well respected in the, in that clubhouse. So I think that that's been cool to watch his, uh, his sort of process play out the way that it has. Um, I, I go back to what we said before talking to Stephen Brooks and that I think Tariq Castro-Fields and, and Jaquan Brisker could really benefit the most from coming back. I think Frankly, I think they should. And, and, and really, I don't, I don't know how this is going to play out across college football. If this means more numbers in the draft, if it means more people staying, but usually that Penn State hasn't fared very well in that aspect. But I do think Castro Fields and Brisker would, would, you know, they, they could take themselves a long way by coming back. I don't know that Mennett and, and Fries are going to be those guys. Um, Shaka Tony, we talked about potentially going uh, before last season, so I think he goes. I think Shelton could benefit from from coming back if that's something he wants to do. He's 23 years old. That's a, that's a lot to ask of a 23-year-old. Um, Simmons has not had the career that I think anybody had predicted when he was a recruit, and that's been unfortunate, but also a very good ambassador for the program. And just one of those things, it, it, it hasn't worked out, but you know he stuck with it and had some injury problems. Uh, it's been unfortunate to see so such a great kid kind of come up short because I know that probably hurts him more than than anybody else Lamont Wade a name you did not mention there like Shane Simmons came in as kind of the top of the class in terms of rankings on the defensive side of the football cornerback to safety uh, transfer portal stop along the way uh, had a child a couple of years ago uh, it feels like um, you know maybe I'm simplifying this and Brent Pride did not mention him. it feels like he's probably taken as much out of this Penn State experience as he probably will in terms of on-field growth maybe I'm shortchanging the kid but I get the sense it's probably time to him for him to go see if he can he can go find an NFL roster make a case what whatever kind of role that may be and and get going with that career kind of the vibe you get from that situation is there any reason to think that I'm I'm off base there no no and that was a complete oversight on my part we we've got them written down in in couple different groups here and I just looked right over uh, Lamont's name among the defensive backs uh, so yeah I mean I, I think that he's been invited what to the East-West Shrine game he's got an opportunity to, to sort of cash in on what he's been able to do and I think he's going to need a good showing in that scenario and 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 hopefully get a chance in the NFL I do think the the same way I I, I don't know that he, I don't know that there's any chance that that he would be back next season I, I do feel for Lamont at times I feel like he's been better than some people have thought I still not what you want from your safeties, but he's been the whipping boy of this defense, I guess is probably the easy way to, to put it. So, um, you know, it's just kind of, I, I don't see it working out for both sides in, in terms of coming back next year, but you know, he's made some plays out there. You, you're always going to remember that Ohio state game last year where he was kind of everywhere forcing fumbles. But uh, I think that that that's a position that, you know, you probably 
aren't going to grow a ton in that year, especially given how much football he's played. Brisker hasn't played really a ton, so you, you still see some growth there. Lamont's kind of been the same guy throughout the last uh, the couple, last couple of years. Lamont burned redshirt status as a freshman. He has played four seasons of Big Ten football. We have seen Jaquan Brisker play one year as a, as a backup of Big Ten football and then one year in a pandemic of, of Big Ten football. I'm with you. I think if there's one guy who could stand to really build that case and kind of launch his NFL stock in 2021 by coming back, it would be the safety Jaquan Brisker. Um, it will be interesting to see what happens with Shane Simmons, a guy who uh, I don't know what his, what his ambitions are at, at this point. If, if he wants to go, you know, I, I'm assuming he does. If he wants to go carve out a, an NFL career and try to make that happen, um, you know, not a lot of film on him at this point through five years on the campus, but that's a defensive end room that we've talked about. It's veering toward youth. It is also going into next year, depending on what Jason Oway does, kind of a scary situation on that too deep on, on what you've got, but uh, just another guy to monitor. And, and remember, they don't have to come back to college football to Penn State. You could see a decision being made to stick in college football, end up somewhere at, at varying levels of, of whether it's Power 5 or the Group of 5 or even FCS football. A lot of opportunities on the on the table that were not on the table before, um, and, and, and that's that. So, Sean, uh, we, we tip our cap to these seniors in unfortunate circumstance, but as I said, you know, maybe we're not done talking about these guys in a Penn State uniform. Um, we predict them to go out with the victory. It's worth noting, as we say goodbye potentially to some of these guys, we got an influx of players coming through in, in just a matter of weeks. The early enrollees will be on campus. I think that's Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Um, we're looking at seven early enrollees at this point, but we're looking at some other pieces that are out there for Penn State more offers have gone out. There's there's a little bit of intrigue now with another player out of Lackawanna College all of a sudden at the last second. Um, what are you serving up to, to the masses out there as we get closer to early signing period? Uh, that's next Wednesday that begins. It goes through Friday. And I just want to say we'll have a ton of coverage between now and then uh, up on lines247.com. And, and we'll obviously be talking about it quite a bit on the upcoming podcast. Yeah, it's really snuck up on us this early signing period. Penn State, of course, adding a commitment from Harrison Wallace, the receiver from, from Alabama. Alabama last week, trying to hit Alabama hard all of a sudden. They've got uh, Deshaun Morrell set to announce next Friday, I think, uh, Penn State-UCLA battle, and it's kind of gone back and forth in terms of, I think, both sides are confident. I think he's a he's a very nice kid, so I think he's feeling making both guys or both sides feeling confident. I actually feel Penn State's in position to land him right now. Be interesting on the offensive line. You've got Austin UK, uh, who's kind of, he's going to go to February, uh, kind of plan A and B right now, unless they're, you know, silently working on another flip there. Defensive end remains a, a priority, but nobody really jumps out. You thought Davon Townley was maybe a guy that could, you know, eventually come around to your end. He has not made any of those visits that they had talked about. He's still uh, at last check plans to sign next week, although uh, it's probably a Minnesota decision right there. George Rooks, I think, is the guy that everybody's kind of watching right now in the defensive line. Um, he's, he's very ambiguous about the process. And then Calvin Johnson Jr., that's an interesting one to me because that's a guy that uh, you offered uh, very late in the process. And then some other schools, he was a Navy commitment as a, as a quarterback, but he's probably going to play some receiver at the next level. He's been a guy that's been pretty receptive to what Penn State's been putting out there. Uh, so that's an interesting one. And then, of course, you mentioned Dejon Warren, the uh, cornerback from Lackawanna. 
some very interesting stuff going on in that recruitment. Didn't really expect uh, a ton of fireworks from that one because he seemed like he was solid to Georgia. Some other schools have come into play. Some other interesting schools have come into play. We talked about that on the site at Lions 24-7 yesterday. So check out He put up a stuff. graphic. I mean, this, this is not us stirring the pot. He, he's stirring the pot here. He put up a graphic of him in a Penn State uniform and – uh, to, for that to happen six days before the early signing period with the top-ranked junior college defensive back at, at a school where they've signed four players in the last two cycles, obviously we're going to pay some attention there. Tis the season for drama, Tyler. <laughs> it is the season for drama. Um, by the way, Calvin Johnson Jr., not Megatron Jr., correct? Um, correct. Okay, correct. just making sure on that one uh, for I think us he's and the our se- I think he's Calvin Johnson the second, and he's not Megatron not- the second either. Okay. So, yes. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, again, a bunch of recruiting coverage coming your way online 24-7. I'm sure there will be some developments uh, that happen before that Tuesday episode that you're going to want to keep monitoring up on the site. Um, and we do have an early signing period special that's going to be going on. We'll get you those details next week. Uh, you'll be able to find that on the site as well. So dive into the VIP coverage that comes with all of this signing day stuff uh, coming around the corner. Of course, we are locked in on Michigan State versus Penn State. Still waiting to hear if we're in. Uh, We know parents aren't in. Waiting to hear the details on the press box. If that's the case, I will be in the press box alongside Mark Brennan, Sean, uh, holding it down from Central Command. And we'll come to you with a post-game podcast, number eight on the season. And let's just say, it hasn't always been pretty, but Sean, eight for eight, not a lot of teams got there. Not a lot of teams got there with their schedule. Penn State did. You got your fix of Penn State football for better or for worse, and we're happy to provide some insight along the way with these conversations. We'll talk to you really soon. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, subscribe, and of course, drop your five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We'll get to you in our next mailbag next time around. We'll talk to you Saturday. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue.